Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell the tale and have a chat about the tale itself and the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, and I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode number 33 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Head Stuff Podcast Network studio. I'm delighted to be coming to you this morning. Well, at least the morning when I'm recording this. I'm not recording it in my usual slot, which is strange. It's strange to be in the studio on another day, but that makes no difference to you, to whatever time, day, or place that you listen to this podcast, that you get your daily or weekly dose of storytelling goodness. At least I hope it's goodness. I have uh, exciting news before we crack into the story. I am absolutely delighted to announce that finally we are doing a live show. We are performing Fireside Live at the Bellow Bar in Dublin on the 22nd of August. Yes, so that is just over a month away, at least from the time of the recording of this episode. If you are around Dublin on that time and you want to come along, it will be an evening of storytelling, of music, of folklore. Um, It is... We're gonna have a great. We're gonna have a great night. We're gonna have a lot. My hope is to mix the folklore and mythology that we tell in this podcast with some personal storytelling and with some music as well, and to just make it a lovely, a lovely evening of storytelling as a whole. You know that storytelling doesn't need to be. That was always my hope when I started this podcast that it wouldn't be strictly restricted to folklore and mythology that it would always be able to expand to a more personal nature as well and I think that that is part of the uniquely Irish experience when it comes to storytelling is that we are the old as and the new at the same time and I think for both to survive both need to be in place but yes we are doing a live show at Bello Bar which is in Portobello in Dublin if you haven't been there before it's a great venue really intimate loads of uh, loads of low low ceilings really like big comfortable chairs and carpets a very very intimate beautiful surrounding i did a gig there last october which was fantastic and i can't wait to get back into into bellow bar again and uh, we are also we are going to have guests which is very exciting we're going to have people along reading their stories my stories or rather the folklore stories that i've rewritten What we will have, I'm obviously being very vague at the moment because I just literally started organizing now, but we just got our date yesterday, so I wanted to 
announce it as soon as I can, as soon as I could, so that anyone who listens to this podcast when it comes out, or even if it's before the 22nd, that you have that date right in the, right there, then and there. And if you want to go, you can go to Eventbrite. Just look up Fireside Live. We'll decide an actual title all. It's very premature to be announcing it, but I am announcing it because we have the date. It's set in stone. And we want you all to come along. We want you to come along and have a fantastic time, like we hope we will. But enough vague descriptions of my live show. What is the story we're talking about today? We are dealing with a lovely, lovely tale I found in... I've spoken a bit about Joseph Jacobs before. He was an Australian folklorist who uh, was a big... He's a big player in the Irish folklore scene. I actually found his book at last... Um, most of his stories I found through other sources, whether that be through the Yeats book or the Sean O'Sullivan uh, Folklore Commission book. But I actually found Joseph Jacobs' book itself, which has such stories as Galiche and the Princess of France, which we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it has a few other stories we've done, but I found this story in it that intrigued me instantly from its title. It is known as The Storyteller at Fault in in its original form, but I thought that that was just a slightly antiquated, what is that word? Antiquated name, antiquated, yeah. So I've renamed it The Storyteller and The Beggar. I love stories that feature storytellers. It's bizarre, I suppose. As an actor, I love stories about acting as well, so storytelling stories about storytellers always interest me as well. And I hope you enjoy it yourself. So this is The Storyteller and The Beggar on Fireside. There once was a high king of Leinster, who, like so many of us, was obsessed with stories. Many kings and lords of the time would have a personal storyteller, which was a position of high regard and honour. The storyteller would often have his own large home close to the king's, so that he may live in luxury but always be at the beck and call of his lord. The king and the storyteller had an arrangement. The storyteller would continue to live his life of comfort as long as he had a new story to tell the king each and every night. This almost impossible task proved no challenge for this storyteller, who was able to live to a ripe old age without ever once repeating a story to the king. But as it does to every storyteller before or since, eventually, one day, the storyteller drew a blank. He went for his usual morning walk, where he would conjure and frame the story he would tell the king that night, but not a word could he think of. He would begin several stories, with many uh, once upon a time, or once there was a king or a princess, but he couldn't get any further. The storyteller began to panic. This had never happened before. What would be the consequence if he had no story for the king? The loss of his house? Death? The storyteller rushed home to his wife. Your breakfast is ready, the storyteller's wife said to him as he walked into their home. I can't eat today. I've no appetite. You always have your breakfast after you think of your daily story. That's just the problem. I can't think of today's story. Well, don't panic. You always have before. You surely will today. But that's just it. I always have it by this time. I'm in big trouble. Relax. You sit and eat, and I'll try and think. The storyteller's wife looked out the window, scouring the landscape for inspiration. 
Sure enough. How long has that old man been lying outside? She asked her husband. What old man? Outside the front of the storyteller's house, there was a hunched-over, bearded old man covered in rags, lying on the ground. You should go talk to him, said the wife. You might get inspiration for a story. With nothing to lose and all to gain, and not being able to think of anything else himself, the storyteller and his wife went outside to talk to the old man. Excuse me, sir. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just a humble beggar waiting to die. Pay me no heed. Right, that's dark. Well, we have to pay you heed. You're in our garden. I'll be dead soon, and then I'll decay and return to earth, and you'll have your garden back. And how long will that take? Oh, not very long at all. The storyteller and his wife looked at each other, and then back at the beggar. They saw he was holding something. What is that in your hands? Dice. And why have you got dice? For throwing would you like to play? What would a beggar like you have to gamble with? I have one hundred gold pieces in this leather purse. It could be yours. Give an old man one last thrill before his dying day. The storyteller thought that by the beggar's rags that it must have been gambling that led him to his current situation, and so he mustn't have much luck with dice. He decided to play. The two men sat opposite each other and threw dice after dice until it was the storyteller who had lost every penny he owned. It turned out the storyteller hadn't the head for gambling himself. By the gods, said the storyteller, you've cleaned me out. Maybe today won't be the day you die after all. Oh no, I want to keep playing. But I have no more to play with. You have a home, chariots, hounds... Yes, I have all those things, but I would never see my wife without a roof, mobility, or protection. This time, the storyteller's wife was not the voice of reason. My dear, your concern is appreciated, but keep playing and you may win back what you've lost. So the men kept playing until the storyteller had lost every dog, every cart, every piece of brick to his name. The old beggar didn't gloat or even seem merry. He just wanted to keep playing. Why don't we play for your wife? Now that's the last straw, said the storyteller. How dare you? I'm not even sure that's legal, even in these times. But the wife spoke again. My love, if we walk away now, we have nothing. Keep playing. It's the third game. Your luck has to turn around. That's how these things work. They played again. That wasn't how it worked. The storyteller lost. Again. His wife went to sit beside the beggar. Oh, that's how you're going to leave me, is it? No fuss kicked up? Happy to walk away? You bet me in a game of dice and lost. Do you expect me to be a cheat? The storyteller could say nothing. Have you nothing else to play for at all? Said the beggar. You know perfectly well I haven't. You've yourself. I can hardly bet myself, can I? 
Yes, you can. And I want to keep playing, so you have to. No. Enough is enough. I refuse. If you refuse, you have nothing but the clothes on your back. We could play for those, too, if you'd like. No! I'll tell you what. I'll put all my winnings on this final hand. Your house, hounds, chariots, all your gold, and of course, your darling wife. All on this final hand. Once again, the storyteller had nothing to lose. And once again, he had everything to gain. And also, once again, he lost. You cheat, you lousy, dirty cheat. It's impossible. Not impossible, just highly improbable. But those are the odds for you, and it's master cheat to you now. Or rather, just master. Realizing he was now speaking to his new lord, the storyteller fell silent. The beggar rose, reached into his pocket, and pulled out two things. A long piece of thin rope and a wooden rod. Now, may I ask you, what animal you would like to be turned into? What? asked the storyteller. What animal you'd like to be turned into? I'll give you a choice. You can be a deer, a fox, or a hare. I am your master now, so this may be the last choice you ever have. The storyteller weighed up his options. There seemed to be pros and cons to all. Each one seemed a trick. As a deer or a hare, he could be hunted. But as a fox, he could be sport. Ultimately, the storyteller picked the one that would be given the most care. The cutest. I'll be a hare. Once the word passed his lips, the beggar waved his wand, and the storyteller shrunk to the form of a long grey hare. The hare hopped frantically around, attempting to get used to this new form. The storyteller's wife laughed at her husband, and then went to the kennel of their former home and released the hounds. The hare didn't even have time to comprehend what had happened before he was sprinting for his life from a pack of slobbering dogs, each wanting to either kill, eat, or play with him, and playing with him would still probably involve killing and or eating him. The hare ran and jumped through hedge and brush, dodging the barks and leaps of each hound. He could feel his tiny frantic heart bursting in his chest. He was sure it would explode before the dogs could even chew. The sight of his wife came to the hare's eyes. He ran to her and attempted to jump into her arms, but instead she kicked him like a GAA ball from the 45-meter line. The hare lay panting on the grass, worn out defeated. The dogs came closer and closer until they were about to leap, and the beggar waved his wand again, and the storyteller was again how he had been before. The storyteller lay on the grass, exhausted as the dogs who had hunted him moments before started to lick the face of their master. Well, I could keep going, but I think I've had my fun. I'll torment you no longer. You may have all of your possessions back. The storyteller thought this was a trick. You don't want to play anymore? No, you'd only lose. Have your home, your hounds, your money, wife, all of it. The storyteller stood and said, 
For my house and chariots and beloved dogs, I thank you. But keep my wife. Now, now, don't be like that. Your wife had no choice. No choice. No choice to set my own hounds on me and kick me. Not to mention, not even think twice about leaving me for an old beggar. I'm not old and I'm not a beggar. My name is Angus of the Bruff. I am druid to the King of Leinster. The storyteller knew this name. I know you. You're the king's personal druid. And you are the king's personal storyteller. This morning my magic told me you were struggling to think of a tale. You have enthralled so many besides his majesty so many times. I thought to take it upon myself to help you. And the same magic that transformed you into a hare transformed your wife. So forgive her. She could not control what she did. And now you have a story to tell the king. The storyteller thanked the now transformed druid and kissed his now non-bewitched wife before he headed up to the castle to the king. The storyteller turned to Angus of the Bruff and said, Thank you for your kindness, but please, never help me ever again. But that night the storyteller regaled the king with all that he had gone through that day. The king laughed until he cried and declared it the best story the teller had ever told. For as every storyteller knows, everything is either a good time or a good story. The king declared that the storyteller would never need to tell him a new tale ever again, as he was as entertained and enthralled hearing the tale of the storyteller and the beggar each and every night for the rest of his life. The end. And there we have the story of The Storyteller and the Beggar on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. This was a delightful story to find. I enjoyed it so much. Those that have been listening to the podcast since the very early days all those many, many years ago, they will remember the story of Pat Diver, the man who had no story, which is still probably one of my favorite titles for any of these tales, the man who had no story. But that had a very similar, very different journey, but similar kind of theme about the idea of not of not having a story, or rather going through some hellish experience for the sake of a story. But with Pat Diver's case, it was that he was not a storyteller and that he couldn't tell stories and the, the discovery of his own story. Whereas here we have almost the exact reverse, where we have a champion storyteller finally suffering a creative block, which is fantastic. There's su- this is such a good, I think this is such a good allegory for, for writing and for storytelling in general. There are so many writers, you know, who there's very little they won't, whether it be journalism or personal or novels or whatever, there's very little that they wouldn't go through for the sake of a good story. You have that a lot with with younger people, particularly, of course. I know I was myself big time like that when I was in college, thinking like, oh, yeah, should this be a good tale? I still have a bit of it in myself now, I think. I think there's still the gleam of mischief in my eye when there's something that's going to happen that is definitely not going to go down well but you still do it because you're like this will be a good tale to tell (laughs) 
my one of my best friends Garode, the the famous O'Donnell from uh, from the Lady O'Connor last week. He has a saying where as long as something is slightly funnier than it's bad, it's grand. And so by that he means that as long as something that devastating that happens, as long as there's still something funny about it, it was worthwhile and you can get over it. Which is a mantra I very much like to live my life by. But here, yes, you have that. In this story, you have that on full display. This idea of this storyteller who kind of unwittingly, but the extremes that he goes through uh, really shows the extent and the fact that the king is so enthralled by this story that he went through that it was enough and that he never has to it cures him of it i really like that that this druid who helped him that he had to put him through this these this level of torture of transforming of of literally stripping him of everything that he owned including himself and his wife and then transforming into a hare and having his wife beat him and be chased by hounds and yeah, if you heard that story and you'd heard one every night, I doubt you'd hear one like that every night and so you'd want to hear that one again and again and again. And so I loved that the druid, knowing enough about storytelling, that he went, I'll cure you. Like the druid knew that this would cure the king, would cure the storyteller of this burden of having to tell this story every, every night. The the this This story itself is actually... It kind of echoes in a lot of ways the framing device of the 1001 Nights, the Arabian Nights folklore collection, which probably unique, certainly to most folklores, possibly, like, definitely of the famous groupings, you know, of folklores in that, like, English, Irish, German, and Arabian, is that the Arabian Nights has a framing story. It has like a story that ties all of these 1,001 different tales together. And that is uh, that Shahrazadi, this, I don't know, is she a slave necessarily or just one of the king's wives or something, but uh, she is to be put to death, I believe. And the task is that she says to the king or the sultan, whatever he is, that if she can tell him a new story every single night, that she won't, that he won't kill her. And so that's what it becomes. And then she tells him a thousand and one stories each and every night. And each story is one of these folk tales. And after a thousand and one, a thousand and first night, he grants her her freedom. He says, that's enough. So there's definitely echoes and influence of that here. I wouldn't be surprised if this story came from that or vice versa as well as they spread far and wide. Um, we have a character mentioned at the end here. This druid, this this happens the odd time, and maybe maybe I'm trying to read in something when it isn't. So we have this druid reveal his identity as Angus of the Bruff, which you hear the name Angus and you think Angus Og, the the god of love. And I'm going to use this opportunity right now to say. I always thought that when I had Angus Og mentioned in the story of the pursuit of Dermot and Grania, that I did thank my friend, my good friend, 
Angus Og McAnally. He's influenced greatly by Irish mythology as well. He's created a number of shows based on Irish mythology, which I was pretty sure that I gave a shout out of before. May have been edited out. It may have not made it for time, but I'm trying to put that right. So I am very, I am very sorry, Angus. And now we have another Angus mentioned here, which is a different Angus. I tried to find if it was the same and tried to find like what, who Angus of the Bruff is, but I think it is a total coincidence. But Angus Og McAnally, I love you and you must forgive me, my friend. Let's have a pint soon. But yeah, it, no, I'm possibly I'm reading too much into it. Maybe yes, Angus of the Bruff is just his name and you're not supposed to know anything. But they're just, certainly in the version I read, there seems to be this, it seems to be this <gasps> moment where you're supposed to go, oh, it's him. And I thought about making it Angus Og just for the crack, really, but it didn't quite fit. Angus Og is the god of love and the god of a few other things, but it didn't seem like a way of tying it in. And I tried to find other gods to use, like Lou, you know, is a champion storyteller and everything, but any god I put in kind of distracted from the tale itself. It made it about something that I didn't want it to be. So I thought, keep it simpler, keep it just about that he is just the king's druid and he just knew because of his magic and he liked he liked the storyteller. What? Drew a blank right there. Oh yes, so in the Joseph Jacob version, this story is also much longer. There's a lot more that happens in it that... It just seemed unnecessary. I really liked the length of it, and I thought enough had happened where I cut it there. So basically, in the original version, he gets transformed back into a human. The druid is revealed to be this long, long grey beggar man, I think is what they call it. Um, <laughs> he takes, the beggar man takes the storyteller to the fort of uh, Red Hugh O'Donnell, who was one of the great, very, very early Irish rebels. This is like four or five hundred years ago. Uh, he takes him to the castle of Red Hugh O'Donnell and ends up killing loads of his servants and bringing them back, you know, saying like, I'll cut, I'll cut these heads off if you don't give me money. And he doesn't, and he cuts them off, and then he is able to heal them again and bring them back to life. It's like this big, grotesque magic show. And then he actually goes to the king, the beggar man goes to the king himself and the guards keep coming up and trying to hang him and every time they hang him there is one of the guards in his place and there's some brilliant imagery in it and some brilliant plot lines but it just seems to meander and go nowhere for the sake and just ends up being longer when I thought that this is a really nice clean story you have like the game itself you have the premise, the game the losing everything gradually, a nice rule of three, four there. Uh, and then you have you have the climax of being turned into the hair, like that's traumatic enough, and being kicked by the wife. And I thought that that was plenty. I hope I hope you agree with me. I think it was about the kind of, like, page-wise it ran, the nice length I like these episodes to be, which is about six or seven pages. It can depend on the length by how much dialogue there is, of course, in them, because dialogue will go a lot faster than, like, a prose block from sheer just of how I space them on the page as much as anything. So usually the myths will be longer because the myths will be more prose, will be more just text. Whereas I find there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue that flows in the folklore stories and there was a lot in this which was so much fun to write. The beggar man was such a fun character to do. 
he he was kind of his voice kind of came to me right from that first line of dialogue his voice was very much I was thinking along the lines of like an old Irish sideshow Bob like Kelsey Grammer's absolutely unbelievable performance in that probably helps that I was watching that Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons quite recently and actually watched rewatched Toy Story 2 last night been on a big Toy Story buzz since watching Toy Story 4 the other night which if you haven't seen is utterly utterly devastating but also hilarious I think it is the funniest one they just I don't know how they did it again there's a slight tangent but hey it's all great storytelling Pixar are the master storytellers of today it's it's a spectacular movie. I don't know how they did it again. Like no one's done it four times, not without one slip. They're four they're four perfect movies. Four is four is problematic from a childhood point of view, I would put it. And like it definitely changes I feel it changes your perspective of the other movies or certainly some of the promises in the other movies, but I just find that that comes across as like a really like Pixar always does, really adult themes, like really mature ideas of maturing as a person and how you do change as a person over time and your values can change, which is incredibly complex, of course, for a kid's movie, especially one about toys, but that's Toy Story for you. It also has some of the most inspired, inspired castings I've seen in in animation. Pixar has a great track record anyway, but some of this is probably the best movie for its introduction of new characters. A lot of which people who haven't even seen the movies will know from the trailers. You've got the most inspiring cho- <laughs> casting choice, even just saying it out loud makes me laugh, of casting Tony Hale, who plays Buster Bluth on Arrested Development, of casting him as a spork, of a spork questioning his existence is just automatically one of the funniest and most beautiful things I've seen in a movie. And you also have, you have Key and Peele as a duck, as a ducky and a bunny teddy. Also incredible. And the piece de resistance of having Keanu Reeves as a French-Canadian stuntman called Duke Kaboom. Need I say more? Keanu Reeves is really, he's really in a good spot right now, isn't he? He's just, everyone has come right back around to him ever since... Ever since everyone found out what a good guy he is, everyone's like stopped slagging Keanu Reeves and everyone's just really appreciating him. That's a nice little, slight little change. Where do we, we got onto that Kelsey Grammer voicing the prospector in Toy Story 2. Just one of the great voices. I adore voice actors so much, as you can tell from that tangent. I love I love hearing and figuring who which voice is which. And Kelsey Grammer is one of the greats for those two roles, for Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons and for The Prospector. And yes, and the old story to the beggar man was my impression of an Irish sideshow bob. Oh, Lisa, you don't spend ten years as a homicidal maniac without learning a thing or two about dynamite. So, so good. What is it in Cape Fear? Very well, Bart. I shall send you to heaven before I send you to hell. <laughs> before he launches into the HMS Pinafore, I'm a big Gilbert and Sullivan nerd as well i don't know if i've ever mentioned that before that's a big that's a big tangent there but i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you enjoyed this story as well if you i might as well take this chance as we begin to wrap up because i didn't do this at the beginning naughty kevin both kevin if you enjoy the podcast please do subscribe please do leave ratings and subscriptions 
I was listening to a Scoobius Pip uh, podcast this morning, which is really good. I actually hadn't listened to it before. What is it called? Um, Scoobius Pip, if you don't know him, is British, British spoken word artist. He's just an objectively cool bastard with a big beard and all. Sorry for swearing there. It's called Distraction Pieces, yeah, and he does a brilliant interview with Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee is my favourite comedian. He's a British... Uh, how could you describe me? Deconstructionist, if that is a word. He's that kind of comedian. He takes his comedy very much breaks down into beats. He's hard to describe. If you haven't checked him out before, check out Stuart Lee. I'd say probably a good introduction would be his piece on Cafe Nero, Top Gear, and then work up to a, one of the most masterful pieces of of stand-up, which is a piece you can look up uh, called Give It To Me Straight, like a pear cider that's made from 100% pears. You're getting all the recommendations today. But Scrooby F. Pip does an introduction to his podcast where he just talks about... He talks about what the good that leaving the ratings and the comments and the subscriptions do, which anyone who listens to a lot of podcasts will be well used to hearing. But it just reminded me, yes, that the more the more subscriptions that we have on the various apps, the more automatic downloads that happen for this podcast each and every week, the higher chance we have of getting higher and higher in the in the charts, in the iTunes charts, in the whatever charts that you listen to. And the better chance that we have of, because I like we're finally taking this podcast live, I want it to be a success. I want it to sell out. I want us to have a name of doing this as a monthly or bi-monthly night. We'll see how it goes. I have a feeling my idea at the moment, probably shouldn't be saying this until until it's more formed, but my idea at the moment is that I'm going to aim for four right now. I want to do one centered around each of the cycles. So the first, the first Fireside Live will be centered around the mytholo- mythological cycle. So we'll probably have the theme of beginnings, you know, of early myths. So the stories about like youths and people's personal stories about their childhoods and about their beginnings. And that will all build up to then this retelling of the mythological cycle, which we did for the first. I don't know, 10 or 15 or 20 episodes of this podcast. It'd be nice to revisit them in a more coherent coherent line across one night with guests and everything. And it's going to be fab. But yes, please do continue to subscribe, leave ratings, comments, recommend it to a friend. Follow me on Instagram at Solo O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. Always the best place to message me if you have any thoughts on the podcast. And the best place to be finding out updates on the live show as well. Because obviously I only record this once a week and they go out a bit ahead of ourselves. So hopefully when this episode comes out, we will be about a month from... So we should have four episodes out in the space between this one and the live show itself, which hopefully will be plenty of time to sell the night out. So we have a spectacular night. But I'm going to wrap things up there. That was a nice. That was a nice episode. I enjoyed that. It was a nice recording. It. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. We will see you all next week. Next week we're back into the historical cycle of Irish myths. I have the story all ready to go great story called Nile of the Nine Hostages, another brilliant name and I hope you all look forward to hearing all about him I don't think there's anything else to say before I go so I will just finish by saying thank you so much to the good folks here at the Headstuff Podcast Network, thank you as always to my editor Jamie <coughs> for continuing to do the work on this podcast I will see you all, you will hear me all next week 
on the fireside, by the fireside even. I always manage to mess that ending up, don't I? Don't they? Don't I? Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.